0: I thought, no, I'm not a hippie. I'm I'm a British rock musician. That's I'm not a I was not into the hippie thing. I'm a drummer. I just want to be the drummer. Wear cool British clothes and all that stuff. So when they were talking about you know finding yourself, I thought like I think I'm right here. I I don't need to find myself.
1: <laughs> yeah. But, uh, oh, and and also you know one of the things that we we kind of lost in all of that is one of the ways you find yourself is through uh, doing your duty. Yeah. You, know, you, you discover okay. Uh, you know, this is who I am. And maybe maybe you need to step up. Maybe there are some changes that need to happen in your life because the, the person you discover is not that wonderful, innocent, pure th- person that you think you'll find. Maybe the person you find is a liar and a cheat and somebody who can't keep promises, and you need to change. In the Word of
0: God, I will build my house. Welcome to Grounded. I'm Steve Hartland, pastor at Cornerstone Community Church, right here in beautiful, amazing, wonderful, kind of warm today, downtown Joppa, Maryland. There's No Town, by the way. That was a joke. And uh, I have a guest with me on the podcast today. His name is Chris Wiley. Let me give you a little bit of bio on Chris so you know who he is. So besides writing for magazines and publishing books, and he's done quite a bit of both of those, he's a pastor. He's a pastor in the Pacific Northwest right now. And uh, he has been a college professor, a commercial real estate investor. I think you're still doing that. I think I read that. A landlord, still doing that. A building contractor. He's been a lot of different things. Here's an important thing he's been. He's been been married for over 30 years to his wife, happily married. They have three grown children. And I just heard a couple of grandchildren. Number three, did you say on the way? Yes, yeah, right. number three on the way. And uh, let's see, I want to mention a couple of his books. Here are some recent ones that I think relate to our talk today. So he wrote one titled The Household and the War for the Cosmos. So it's about the household. Check that out. Get yourself a copy, and uh, he's also written in the house of Tom Bombadil. Now, I tried to look at that one. I tried to do the look inside at Amazon, and I couldn't see enough, and I didn't have time to get it here. But I do remember Tom Bombadil. In fact, I remember the little jingle: "Old Tom Bombadil was a merry fellow, right. bright blue his jacket is, and his boots are yellow." Right? right. I bet you right. know that one too, don't you? Right? Yeah, that was kind of famous. So, Chris, welcome. To grounded. Uh, what else do you want to tell us? That's biographical. Anything you want to fill in, just so people kind of have
1: an idea of who you are. Okay, I was baptized Episcopalian. My my folks. Um, you know the the old joke is whether high or low, the status is always quo with those guys. And <laughs> you know, so that was the world of my childhood. My father was an academic. My mother was into the arts. And so we lived uh, in kind of the uh, vicinity of college campuses, which tend to be kind of bohemian. My father got involved in the Church of Scientology when I was a kid, so I I saw that uh, place from the inside, and it's Mm -hmm. as creepy as everybody has heard. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I I came uh, after our our family broke up, and I was a ward of the state for a while when I was a a teenager. I was uh, living in western Pennsylvania at the time, and uh, I became a Christian through the influence of a little blue-collar church. I got a a real love for blue-collar people and blue-collar culture. Uh, so I've got kind of a foot in two worlds. I, I I kind of think of myself as a blue-collar intellectual. You know, that doesn't sound pretentious.
0: You know what? I have that same love for blue-collar, and it's manifested itself in a bunch of ways. I think it's due to the fact that I was raised in a pretty rural, farmish part of Maryland, and all the kids I went to school with, they were probably farmers' kids, or most of them, in the earlier years anyhow, but uh, especially that— when I, uh, when I turned 16, my dad announced to me, he didn't ask me, he just told me one day, oh, I got you a job. You're working this summer. <laughs> oh, really, what am I doing? And he got me a job working construction for a guy who builds houses. Great. And so I loved it.
1: Yeah. It's that's like great. They're
0: paying me to lift weights. It's physical work and they're paying me for it. <laughs> right. So I always got construction jobs. Even part-time was during the school year after that. So, um, and great. so I, I got to love construction, men and construction stuff. And then also in more recent years, just the time of day I've chosen to go to the gym. All the guys who are there are plumbers and electricians and you, know all yeah. that kind of stuff. And I just love those guys. There's a realness about them. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think that's right. I When you're, uh, you know, someone who works with his hands, then um, you're in touch with the physical world, obviously, and you're awfully hard. It's awfully hard to kind of pull the wool over those guys. Yeah, fool those guys. Because, you know, a lot of academics, people are kind of caught up in the latest, I guess, intellectual fads. Um, They don't really have kind of the day-to-day experience that keeps them their feet on the ground. And they can get into stupid, goofy stuff, Yes. Um, it, you know, I, I love that world too. You know, I, I I lived in Cambridge, Massachusetts for about a decade, right between Harvard and MIT, and so that environment I'm comfortable in as well. But but there's something about blue collar folks and the realism there that I just think is absolutely essential.
0: Yeah, amen to that. It's wholesome. I love it. So um, good. Thanks for giving us some biography. We're going to talk about the family from one angle and another. And why don't we start here? Let's talk about what we'll call the social importance of the family. So you know what I mean by that, right? Like, why is the family important to society? Why is it important to the world? Why is it important to the church? We all know it's in kind of bad shape these days, but um, talk about the social importance. What do you want to say
1: about that? Well, we're talking about creation, of course, when we are referring to the family in this light. And uh, this is something that uh, cultures around the world uh, both – The, you know, cultures informed by the Christian faith and those that are, you know, pre-Christian have noted, and that is that for a a society to be healthy, the the household and the family have to be strong. So, you know, we can go into the East and you can see what Confucius has to say about the institution. You can go into the classical world, antiquity, and see what people like Aristotle or Xenophon say about it. Uh, And then, you know, obviously what we see in scripture with the house of Abraham and you know, what we see in the house of David and all of the, the, the sort of the good and the bad when things are going well, things are are good when things are not going well in the household, things are not good. Uh, and so it's a, it's the, it's the first institution and it's the, it's fundamental. Now, uh, we live in a time where people think that the family may even be passe, uh, And there are a lot of, uh, you know, strange notions floating around and have been floating around for the past couple hundred years that, you know, we're dealing with. Uh, But in terms of the way people, you know, throughout time around the world historically have thought about the household, it's like super important for a healthy society.
0: Yeah, it's like. How can we not realize that anymore? Like, like, it seems like we're feeling free to completely redefine the family family any way we want it to be. And the family can be two males with a child or two women with a child or no dad or whatever. And these are all legitimate forms of the family without thinking about what does that really do to a family? What does that do to children? How does that affect they're training, they're raising up, and so on. So uh, maybe that could lead us to another question or a thing to talk about, and that is, so I guess we're all about the individual, not so much the family. We're about individualism. It's about the life of the individual. What's the individual want? This is why maybe it's more important that I get my divorce than what it does to my kids, right? It's because yeah. it's the individual. It's about, it's about me. So... Talk about, please, uh, the family as a basic unit of humanity, yeah. maybe family also as having a federal
1: head yeah, well, I mean it, when we when we think about uh, institutions of any kind, uh, you know groups of people who are working together uh, living together, you need to have uh, an authority structure in order for that to occur because there are going to be conflicts. Uh, There are going to be people who do things that are wrong. (laughs) There are going to be people who uh, are moving in different directions. And consequently, we need authorities to keep people working together and uh, working in ways that are beneficial for everyone and uh, all the parties involved. So when we think about a a household or a family, uh, it requires some kind of uh, authoritative oversight for it to be. Healthy and productive. Now, just like uh, you know any other kind of institution, you can have bad people in charge. <laughs> you uh-huh. know, you know, and and then they can take advantage of people and harm people and um, and so forth. And there's a weird notion that seems to float around, particularly in, you know in the on the left, and that is. Yes, we, we have to accept that we need authority figures in every other sphere of life, whether we're talking about employment or government or whatever. But in terms of the household, we don't need it. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's just weird. Um, and it's not actually uh, even, I think, approached honestly. The people, you know, so I've got a lot of, uh, you know, family who would be, I think, pleased to be called progressives. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. You know, so I've seen I've seen mm-hmm. the inner workings of their their homes up close and personal in there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now I've been in, and then, and, and then, you, you know, even in my own home, you know, as a kid, that's kind of the way it was. And um, so what you end up in those situations is there is uh, influence that is being exercised by uh, parents, for example, but often dishonestly and in a manipulative, manipulative ways um, because they can't just deal honestly with the fact that, okay, I am the head of this house. And, uh, I need to exercise authority for the, you know, in the interest of everyone in the house. So they, they end up, you know, with all these, well, I won't go into all that. So, but anyway, so, uh, in terms of the household, in terms, in terms of the head, that's absolutely essential. And then when we think about individualism, uh, individualism, like any other ism, uh, has an upside as well as a downside, uh individuals are, re- are real. <laughs> you know, yeah. in other words, they're not, we don't like individuals are not socially constructed. They just are. Okay. You are yeah. you, I am me. I'm one. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's right. I've got children. They're, they're individuals. I've got a wife. She's an individual. Individualism, uh, is the, uh, taking that reality to an absurd, you know, sort of uh, place so if we think about individualism, it mean what we're saying is that the individual is the only thing that's real and everything else has to, in some sense, serve the individual and right. not, uh, we, we, we don't have any right to call individuals to serve others or serve their institutions or whatever. So like when we think about the military, uh, we praise men who uh, are devoted to their duty, right? they, Charge into the, you know, fray. You know, they they fight, uh, risking their lives, and we we praise them for that. Now, they weren't doing it for themselves. So, you know, maybe, maybe there's uh, a a measure of of self regard in in all of that when when a person is trying to maybe just do his part, or maybe he wants to be a hero. But there's a larger cause that served. Uh, and that larger cause is legitimate, and so the individual is not kind of the the only thing to consider and and he may not even be the most important thing in the in the conversation. Another way to think about it is when we think of like about a about a baseball team, every position uh has a role, and there are certain tasks that different players have uh and so there's there is you know the individual you know, serving in a particular capacity as pitcher, catcher, outfielder, whatever. But then there's the larger uh, institution, which is the team. (laughs) And the team, uh, serving the team's interest is what the individuals do by trying to win as a team. So, and then you have an authority, you know, in in baseball, you know, the manager, you know, uh, the, the assistant coaches, all of those people working together to direct the efforts of the team as the team is doing its thing. Now, some people are afraid that we'll lose individual distinctives, you know, sort of persons, things that make us unique as individuals if we think in these terms. But I think that's just absurd because when we think about great baseball players, just to stay with that uh, frame of reference, we think about them as being great in their role, but in their own way. So when we think about like Willie Mays, Willie Mays was a great outfielder. There was no one else like Willie Mays. You know, when we think about Willie Mays and his legacy, you know, we think about Willie Mays, but the way we came to understand Willie Mays and his greatness was as he served in the capacity of, uh, as an outfielder, uh, of an outfielder on a baseball team. On so a team. Yes. yeah. Yeah. So fathers, mothers, mm-hmm. <clears throat> whatever, <clears throat> they're still themselves and they're, are things that they, that we as individuals bring to our roles, <coughs> pardon me, but that doesn't mean we're no longer individuals when we have roles. <coughs> yeah, well makes- uh, to go exactly. back to
0: your military metaphor for a minute. So <laughs> like a lot of other people, I'm I'm a little bit enamored by Navy SEALs. So, uh, you know, I've read some books and check out what they do. And, and of course, everybody knows this, that uh, I'm sure it's not just in the SEALs either. It's across military But uh, one of the things, there are many things that might motivate you to charge. But one of them is I'm taking care of him. right, right. Right. I'm deeply committed to the guy over here and the guy over there. Mm -hmm. So same thing in the family, right? Why why am I willing to deny myself and it hurts and I have to sacrifice and give? Well, it's because I'm committed to these people.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah, And I think that's a, a tremendously important thing to keep in mind. So I'm a product of the me generation. You, you, you may recall that period of time where – I think you and I must be about the same age. So, yeah. Right. So that's the 70s. And and it's a kind of the, the wake of the chaos of the 60s. And you had all these people who were trying to find themselves. Do you remember that? They really? were always trying to find themselves. Yeah, uh, But but it just so happened that finding yourself entailed leaving all of the people you knew behind. Uh, uh-huh. Whatever <laughs> damage that did. Right. Yeah. You, you you're so, yourself you, the pl- where you were was somewhere in California and you had to go to find yourself. It just so happens yeah. that all the people who depended on mm. you were back in, you know, Indiana. Yeah. <laughs> and then you went, so that that was really my folks. They ancient their own way, kind of just, they were really out to find themselves and, did Uh, that break up your family oh yeah yeah that was what led to it
0: yeah yeah I get it. Just by the way, somehow I never got caught up in that. Like I was a long-haired guy, and people would call me a hippie. But I thought, no, I'm not a hippie. I'm I'm a British rock musician. That's what, I'm not a. <laughs> I was not into the hippie thing. I'm a drummer. I just want to be the drummer. Wear cool British clothes and all that stuff. So when they were talking about you know finding yourself, I thought like I think I'm right here. I, I don't <laughs> need to find
1: myself. Yeah, but, oh, uh, and and also you know one of the things that we we kind of lost in all of that is one of the ways you find yourself is through uh, doing your duty, you,
0: yeah. know, you,
1: you, you discover okay. Uh, you know this is who I am, and maybe maybe you need to step up. Maybe there are some changes that need to happen in your life because the the person you discover is not that wonderful, innocent, pure th- person that you think you'll find. Maybe the person you find is a liar and a cheat and somebody who can't keep promises, and you need to change. Mm, That's really good. That's
0: pretty powerful. So, uh, this is kind of related, I guess. Um, uh, We're hearing a lot about the patriarchy, the evil, the oppressive patriarchy. And... um, I don't know if you've seen or maybe read. I have read. Somebody in the church said, "Oh, you got to read this. It's great." It was terrible. The the
1: book of uh, Jesus and John Wayne. Have you seen that one? Well, I've seen it. I've not read it because yeah. I think I know everything that the yeah, author has do. to say. Yeah. Except uh, it's just astounding.
0: Like she's a historian, right? A historian, and she claims that this all started with John Wayne. Yeah. Well,
1: she's goofy. Uh, she's up at Calvin, if I remember right. I can't remember That's her name. Great. Yeah. yeah, Calvin's a, a place that I would not send anyone to go to school. Yeah, don't send your kids there, right? No, a, this is the uh, the You've heard of endorsements. This is the disendorsement. Oh, <laughs> and I'm <right>. a Calvinist. <laughs> you know, I. <laughs> John so Calvin's rolling over in his grave. <laughs> he is. He is. There's yeah. a lot of good. I had interactions with those folks at Calvin back in the day, back when I was doing urban ministry in the 90s, and I, they kind of gave me. The heebie jeebies, then, mm-hmm. but I guess uh, you know I, I've thought about writing a book entitled "Jesus and Dirty Harry" because I <laughs> think that, <laughs> that that Dirty Harry actually is a is a, uh, a film that is suffused with Christian imagery. Mm-hmm. But uh, the the Christ that we see in Dirty Harry, you know, this is not an endorsement of everything that goes on in the film. I mean, it's Understood. early seventies. It's it's gritty. There's gratuitous nudity. There's lots of violence. Lots of profanity. This isn't family. F- family film night stuff. But mm-hmm. it's pretty clear that John Milius who wrote it uh, was portraying Harry as the avenging Christ and mm-hmm. you see all sorts of stuff in the film that indicate that. And what we have is Christ the judge. And this is the, this is the Christ that this gal uh, doesn't seem to know anything about. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool.
0: Staying on the patriarchy. So, Um, You know, here we are talking about the family, the traditional family, if you will, the nuclear family, if you will. I'd prefer to just call it the biblical family, God's family. But we're talking about that family. And uh, are we not then just perpetuating patriarchy or are you and I right now not just encouraging
1: evil, oppressive patriarchy? Well, Well, we both answer no. So why not? Well, this gets us back to the earlier, uh, you know, comments concerning institutions and authority. So um, there is no such thing as an institution without some authority structure and without someone given a task of overseeing it, uh, whether you're talking about a a boss at work or mayor of a city or uh, a father in his home. Mm -hmm. By the way, uh, one of the things that a lot of folks could use a little help with is uh, understanding the roots of words. So uh, the word patriarch Refers to a father who is a uh, ruler. Father rule, yes. Father rule, and uh, in the Greek, uh, the word for family uh, is a patria, and that's where we get the term patriarch. Yes, uh, and then patera. So, pa- so the relationship between the 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 father and a family in Greek is so uh, integral. That you cannot separate uh, father rule from family. In other words, when when you said family in Greek, and this is New Testament Koine Greek, you were saying father. Yes. And this, by the way, is when you know the Apostle Paul uses that uh, wordplay. Yeah, with that wordplay says you know from whom all the families of earth derive their name. Yes. He's 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 stating that a father's role in the home is directly connected to the father in heavens. Uh, creative, uh, work. Yes. So, uh, we can't abdicate. Um, and that's what people want us to do. They want us to abdicate. And what we should do is endeavor to govern our households in the light of God's truth. And that's a, you know, that, that means that we do, that, do, uh, govern justly, uh, and that we are, you know, mo- motivated by love and so forth. Yeah, amen. So, staying in Ephesians
0: three for a minute, so that that text you referred to, I believe it's verse twenty-one. Does that sound right? Yeah, I think that's right. So, um, where Paul says, you know, he's he's the great father from whom every fatherhood on earth is named, mm-hmm. and uh, the use of the Greek word there that you referred to. Um, so, so if somebody is seeking to overthrow patriarchy, would it be fair to say they might not know this, but they're really trying to overthrow God,
1: oh, God's yeah. government. Yeah, I think so because we're talking about creation and this gets us back to some things that we, you know, kind of alluded to briefly. Uh, We are in a war with nature and particularly the West Uh, and that war with nature has to do with things like, you know, uh, uh, procreation uh, has to do with uh, our understanding of ourselves as male and female.
0: Yes. Gender.
1: Right. And so that war is a war against God taken to uh, the level of creation. So we've seen over the last couple of hundred years a very concerted effort to get the church out of things, to truncate its uh, work and role in social life. Now uh, we see this uh, war on the Christian faith being taken to the next level in which creation itself is the field of the, of conflict.
0: Mm, well said. So so why why do we need patriarchy? Why do we need father rule? And as as you said you know, it, obviously it ought to be a beneficent rule. It ought to be a principled rule. It ought to be a godly and a wise rule. It's a rule for the benefit of the ruled. And so the whole family can be on the mission. I'm leading us on this mission that God has given us. Um, so it, it's all of that. But uh, wh- why do we really need patriarchy or why do we need fathers? Why does a household need a father? Maybe even answer a father and a mother.
1: Why? Well, well uh, of course, it takes two to tango, as they say. <laughs> 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 and, um, well, there are a couple of things to think about. One is the work of fathers as it, as it uh, relates to life in our world. Uh, and that's one subject that we've already been talking about. Uh, there is, if we think of, say, and this is, I think, an important component to what has occurred in terms of seeing the household go from the center to the periphery? Uh, traditionally, households were productive enterprises. Mm. In other words, they weren't just simply places that people hung out at the end of the day and ate, uh, you know, uh, Doritos and watched uh, Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were they were places where people were engaged in the work of daily life. They were making a living, and the word economy which we now apply almost exclusively to the market uh, actually refers to, to household order. So the word uh, oikos, nomos, those are the two Greek words that are the root words for the English word economy. Oikos means house and nomos means law or management. So uh, an economy is the law of the house or the management of a household. And, why would you even manage it? You know, again, today people, uh, uh, they think in terms of, well, I made my bed this morning and I, uh, washed dishes after I ate my Cheerios or whatever. But in, in, uh, the pre modern world, it also meant, uh, you know, creating goods for the market. So maybe a man was a blacksmith and his entire family would be engaged in the work that he was performing. So his sons would be his helpers. His wife would be, you know, the, the person who was taking care of the books, making sure that, you know, the accounts were uh, paid, you know, the bills were going out, that the, the raw materials were being purchased, you know. And then at the dinner table, at the end of the day, they would talk about a lot of things, but they would also talk about the business, <laughs> the family concern. So in that, in light of that, when scripture says, obey your father and mother to children, it's not just saying, well, you know cater to their whims, you know, when he wants to watch football, uh, let him. <laughs> it's actually uh, directly related to the welfare of the kids in question. Um, so if like a kid's, you know, uh, a farming uh, boy and his father says to him, go out into the uh, back 40 and bring in the cows. Uh, we got a hurricane coming or something like that. And if the son says, no, I want to head out with my friends. Well, it is going to feel the, the effects of the household's uh, sort of uh, economic hardship if there are a bunch of cows that die. It's mm-hmm. not just, you know, oh, that's dad's thing. This is our thing. And, and, and the father is overseeing the work of the household. So, um, and this is also one of the reasons why implicit that a father has got to be the one, because oftentimes, you know, there needs to be a little physical reinforcement of the rules of the house. Just like in a in a in a uh, well-governed city, you, you need to have people who are in a in a position to actually apply force in those regrettable instances uh, in which people are breaking the law. Um, you know, know a you know, lot of people in our day don't even get that. Yeah. 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 And there's obviously, you know, a uh, protocol. First of all, you say. Hello, my name is Officer So and So. You did you right. realize that you just put a candy bar in your pocket? <laughs> <laughs> put it back. Yeah, you know, you know, and that now that, that can things can escalate, you know, if but yes. but uh you don't necessarily go right for your gun and shoot the kid who's put the candy bar in his pocket. I think not. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and in the same thing or in a household right? Yeah, or in the same thing in a household, you don't you know initially just cut a kid off from his inheritance and kick him out because of of disobedience. But Uh, The the point is, is that you do need to enforce these rules, particularly uh, in light of the reality that we all depend on each other to do, you know, each person do his part in order to to have a livelihood to make a living. So because the household has been reduced to essentially a recreational institution, um, we have a hard time understanding why, uh, you know, parental authority is uh, really uh, uh, sort of uh, indispensable. Now, when it comes to the larger picture of you know what does the what does the household reflect in the biggest sense? Well, the household reflects the household of God, and in that household there is a, a, a groom and a bride, right? I mean, Christ and the Church. So the relationship between a husband and wife is intended to illustrate or reflect this larger relationship. So a lot of folks, when they think about the Apostle Paul and his references to, you know, to the you know Lord and the and the church and, you know, groom and bride, they think, well, you know, this was just human creativity. Just so we, you know, he just kind of projected this idea into the sky. You know, is, he's just dealing with sort of the situation on the ground and he's imaginatively applying it to Christ in the church. Well, the traditional Christian understanding is just the reverse. Uh, the, the projecting is coming from above. So uh, God is the creator and he created households, fathers, mothers, husbands, wives with the full intent of seeing in that microcosm, a little picture of the macrocosm. Hmm. So that's why it's indispensable. That's why we can never as Christians, uh, you know, endorse or accept the uh, blasphemous notion that, uh, you know, there is such a thing as gay marriage. It's just not true. You've got a couple of people living together and doing uh, perverse things. And um, that's, it's just not the same. It's not, it's not so you know you see those little equal signs on the back of people's bump you know on their on their bumpers and stuff that's not equal, there, there is not equality there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, what happens when there are
0: no fathers? What happens when there is no patriarchy? And my answer, because of where I live, my answer is well, Baltimore happens.
1: Yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah if you you want to see uh, matriarchy uh, on steroids, go into a lot of urban settings, but increasingly in other places uh increasingly in certain parts of uh sort of uh rural America that have, have kind of lost their um, economic uh livelihood mm-hmm. sort of uh, basis so you go to some places where there's just opioid kind of stuff all over the place you have, you have the same kinds of you know sort of uh inner city uh you know um, social chaos that that uh, that now you have in these other settings so yeah, I think that's right I think uh, when women are married to the state, which is effectively what we see. Yes, we that. They, they rely upon the state for the, all the things that uh, it, in a healthy environment they rely on their husbands for. Then you end up with a lot of craziness because the state uh, is a very bad father.
0: You're probably familiar with uh, Anthony Esselin's book, No Apologies. I imagine you, you've you probably read that. Well, I've not uh, read
1: it, but but Tony's a friend of mine, so uh, he oh, yeah? talked a lot. Sweet.
0: Yep. Man, I was, we were on vacation at the Outer Banks of North Carolina recently. All kids, grandkids were all in one great, big, ginormous, ridiculously expensive house. We all split <laughs> the bill, you know. Right. And uh, I sneaked it I, down there, and I'm an early guy, so I'm up for hours before anybody else is stirring. And I read that book that week. And man, I loved it. And one of the things in that book is when when you have no fathers, young men men become one of two things. Either they become dangerous, or they become passive and lazy. Yep. Yeah, we see both of those. Any comments you want to make on that?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, I was awarded the state. uh, And what I tell people is uh, when you don't have a father or a house uh to live in with that's healthy and the state takes over it's like being raised by the dmv you know, it's basically uh this you know sort of sterile um officious <clears throat> impersonal environment <coughs> pardon me and uh, if you want to have a a world full of violent men and sociopaths and uh, passive and guys yeah, just good. let the state run everything no doubt and, and, and the good and the good thing is as many people in government know this <clears throat> the problem is is that <clears throat> i'm sorry i've got this frog through the problem is, is we live in a society where people are trying to evade responsibility and when you have that happen you really do end up with, with this void that gets filled by the state so yes there are megalomani- megalomaniacs in um politics who are trying to make the state into everything? That's true, but you also have just the failure of of people to do their jobs, and this creates an environment within you know that can be filled by the crazies, <laughs> can mm-hmm. make all of the promises that everything will be just fine if we just let them run everything.
0: Yeah. Hey, so I saw online that you gave a talk at the University of Idaho, uh-huh. and your talk was called toxic matriarchy I believe they handed you the title and uh, from what I've seen there was a pretty raucous crowd going on there you had a f- lot of fun didn't you so so what was that about what is toxic matriarchy what's the wh- how would you define that what's the danger of it and so on
1: yeah, I, it, one of the things that was fun about that talk uh, is that they thought I was going to talk about one thing, but I was actually talking about something else, and I and that was oh. pretty that was intentional. Uh, so oh. I I intended to surprise them, and it and it it was actually it actually played out exactly the way I thought it would. So um, I did watch it, by the way. Really enjoyed okay. it. Oh, great, great. Well, you know, they thought uh, I was going to attack women. Uh, and that the whole thing was going to be this uh, thing where I was trying to belittle, you know, you know, huh. females and stuff like that, and, and yeah. it was pretty what obvious. That they that's, know you, huh? Yeah, that's right, that's right. yeah. I, I like women. I, I'm actually married to one. <laughs> yeah. Some granddaughters, and all that. <laughs> right? I think women are great. Um, but I, what I was addressing was is that this very thing where um, you have uh, a world in which people. Uh, are being catered to and permitted to to uh sort of indulge themselves uh in immature ways and uh, instead of calling for uh young people uh in particular to rise to the occasion and and pursue excellence and live up to high standards we lower standards uh we we have a kind of permissive approach to things and nurture is the the only thing that we celebrate um, and if there's a failure uh, by someone to live up to a standard uh, rather than uh, reprimand that person or call that person to live uh, more you know I think uh productively we essentially lower the standard to uh, help them feel good it's sort of like it's sort of like uh, uh what you see with you know everyone gets a trophy. Um, yes, that, that kind thing. of thing. Yeah. And uh, we see it and we see it all over the place. We, and we, we see it in acad, academe. I mean, you know, the whole safe spaces, the stuff, the, 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 uh, emphasis on no one should ever feel bad because they heard something they disagreed with or made them feel, uh, inadequate or what have you, uh, that, that is the ethos that, um, I was addressing. So that's the, that's the toxic matriarchy. Uh, And it's. Are uh, you
0: saying that's toxic matriarchy because we do know that, that women are fueled more to, they are therefore inclined more to nurturing men by contrast are fueled more to, are more inclined toward being assertive and aggressive. And so is it toxic matriarchy because. Nurturing rules now. Nurturing is the thing.
1: Yeah. And and that's not to imply that we don't need nurturing. Right. Um, we do. Even adults oh, need nurturing. Yeah. yeah. Every, even adults need nurturing. So like if you, if you uh, you know, get really hurt, uh, you need somebody to take you in and take care of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. So nurture is not the enemy. It's, the problem is, is that uh, we've lost the other. The other thing and it kind of gets back to what i suspect this gal from calvin is talking about with jesus and john wayne she doesn't really have a place for authority it sounds like again maybe i'm not uh you know describing what she's up to fairly but the but uh what i i see beyond just the title of that book even in the christian world is that we're um we feel very awkward about standards and Calling people to live up to to good standards, high standards, hmm. or biblical standards for that matter
0: These are our time, just incidentally, it kind of reminds me, so I was a Dr. Benjamin Spock baby. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, my parents, they didn't know. Now they sure. have two kids, my older sister and me. How do we raise these kids? And I don't know how or when or where they came across Dr. Benjamin Spock. Yeah. And yeah, I can remember the volume. It was that big. And the copy we had was pink. And it sat in the dry sink in our main living room. And they consulted Dr. Spock, which I don't know why he needed that many pages because it basically <laughs> just said, let them do whatever they want to do.
1: <laughs>
0: and, right, uh, right. you know, I was sort of raised that way. But, um, so it was probably toxic matriarchy in my home. Yeah.
1: Like yeah. And, and the thing my about taking- would,
0: if I got in trouble with school, oh man, she would go
1: give them the business. <laughs> 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 and, and the thing that we see is that men can be guilty of toxic matriarchy as well when they <laughs> behave in ways that don't work to their strengths. So, you know, you see, I, I, I call the, these guys mommy second class. It's like, they're, you know he, heather has two mommies one of them is their father his, uh, his father yeah. or yeah. her father you know and it's because you know what they really don't uh reflect upon what it means to be a man and what are the gifts that God has given to me to bring to the household mm-hmm. um and mainly it's because they've been they, they they've bought the libel that's what it is is libel mm-hmm. uh fathers have been libeled you know when it, if if we were to take uh you know hitler and uh stalin and say that's what it means to be uh a ruler and that's the only thing that we have to work with is that then well, everybody would say well then you know rulers are evil we don't want that yeah yeah but th- that 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 those aren't the only rulers <laughs> you know mm-hmm. uh, we can point to other rulers who were just and say well, that's really what it means to be a yes. ruler. Or if you take, take the average
0: father in, in a sitcom or something, they've yeah. just been belittled and belittled. They've been, you know, incapable, fumbling people and show after show after show. So we don't want to be that.
1: Yeah. And I think there's actually uh, a larger agenda, both economic and spiritual, that's being pursued uh, through those sitcoms. Hmm. What would that be? Go ahead. Well, I think, you know, the spiritual, of course, is pretty obvious. We know, for example, that fathers have a very strong influence on the religious uh, outlook of their children. Hmm. Um, there are studies that have demonstrated that uh, when a father is overseeing the religious uh, education of his children, uh, the likelihood of those children growing into a reflection of their father in terms of their faith you know whether we're talking about christianity judaism whatever is very high uh that doesn't mean that a mother doesn't have an important role but uh we just know based on the data that fathers really do rule whether they know it or not Mm -hmm. uh, whether they practice that rule well or not and i can go into some thoughts on why that's so but Also, I think that there's an economic agenda and even a political agenda. Fathers are the boundary keepers of the household. And if you want to get at kids, you got to get dad out of the way. So there are different ways to do that. You know, you can undermine his confidence. You can, you you know, uh, undermine his image in the eyes of his children. Um, You can just get him out of the house. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Like <laughs> government be dad. Yeah, yeah. So there are different things that can be done to, to accomplish it. And like I said, there are economic uh, reasons. You know, there are people who, um, you know, don't want dad to kind of rule the roost because if he does, there are certain implications for, um, you know, certain economic activities, um, meaning that you're not going to make as much money maybe selling porn or selling video games or that kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. because dad's going to put some limits on some things Mm -hmm. (laughs) that kind of, uh, and also, uh, you want to get at mom. You want, you actually want mom out of the house. You want her working for you, not with him. And, um, you can package that as women's liberation and self-determination and all that kind of stuff.
0: So let's, let's transition to kids. We haven't talked a lot directly about kids, so kids, like globally, nobody wants them anymore, but nations are realizing, uh-oh, we need we need kids or we're in trouble here because we need kids who are going to be the producers and, and the consumers. So interesting story on that front. So we we support a church in Alshaffensburg, Germany. It's near Frankfurt. And uh, talking to the pastor friend there, his name is Dominic, great guy. Um, he wrote me about a year ago and said, hey, we just had our second baby. And because of that, his wife gets to be off work for a year and the government pays her her salary and her job is secure. She can it'll be waiting for her. And Dominic gets off for a year and the government pays his salary and his job is waiting for him when he goes back. And this is the second time they've done that because it's their second child. And I thought, what on earth is Germ? Oh, I know. They need them to have some kids. They're doing everything they can do to encourage that. So you probably know the replacement rate is 2.1. And I believe in the USA, we're at 1.7, not even replacing ourselves. By the way, interesting, we could talk about this, but let's not. Immigration is helping us, right? Because- people from our South are coming up and they want to work. They want to be producers. They want to be consumers. They're young. They're 18 to 35 or something. So that that's really helping us, but that's a topic for another day. Why should families have more than 1.7 children?
1: Yeah. Well, uh, Kevin DeYoung just wrote a really great piece for first things uh, magazine on that very thing. Um, and I can't recall the name of the article, but it was more. It was basically in defense of having children. <laughs> and he's done it. So, what do they yeah. have? Like six or seven kids? I think it's nine. Believe
0: it. Is, is nine. it nine? Yeah. Man, yeah. What kind of a van do you have to buy? To fall down?
1: <laughs> well, he talks a little bit about that in the article, mm. and um, but you, but you, uh, the observations you made are right. Now, one of the things I think it's worth noting is that even with all those incentives, Germany can't even get to one point seven.
0: Yeah. And other nations, the same, like they're yeah. begging their people have babies and they're not doing it in yeah. In Asian countries because so many of them are in cities and teeny little apartments. And it's like, have another kid. Where would I put another kid? And they're just not doing it.
1: Well, that's, that's another important thing. There's another guy named Peter Zahan. And, yeah, and, I've read his books. Okay. So <laughs>
0: I'm working off of him.
1: Good guy. Yeah. 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 And Zahan notes that if you want to bring the population down or fertility rate down, encourage people to live in apartments because that's what? like the, the uh, very powerful sterilizing force. <laughs> on it, doesn't it? Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there are a lot of things that are conflicting in our society in terms of the messages that our society is sending to people. There are some people that are really happy that uh, population is in decline, particularly people kind of on the ecological sort yeah, of the extreme, green you know, yeah, the green people and, and people on the far extreme of that, you know? So I think that there are a range of, people who have, you know, sort of ecological concerns. And some of them I think we could even work with, but some of them are just, I think that they're, Well, they're, they're misanthropes. I mean, they hate the human race, you know?
0: Get us down to what? One or 2 billion.
1: Yeah. Or maybe even Uh not even be around at all. (laughs)
0: And like no farming and no fossil fuels. And we're all just out foraging for nuts or something. I don't know what we're going to be doing, but it's kind of like that. But um, how would you encourage, how would you encourage Christian families, evangelical solid Christian families to have more kids?
1: Well, I think the thing to to point those folks to is scripture, of course, and the be fruitful and multiply command has not been abrogated. It still (laughs) stands, doesn't it? It's just how I looked. That's right. right. And what, what what is the Lord looking for? Well, he's looking for his image. The Lord delights in seeing his image multiply, right? Now, So we're made in the image of God. Now, of course, because of sin, that image is tarnished. uh, It's twisted. uh, But the gospel is intended to restore it. Uh, That's one of the the effects. Uh, So it's especially incumbent upon Christians who are both embodied creatures made in God's image and commanded to multiply. And people who know uh, the gospel, which addresses the sin problem, (laughs) to to have kids and to raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Now that does that mean all of your kids are going to, you know, uh, stay true to Christ. Uh, well, I mean, we have evidence in scripture that that's not the case, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't try. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> right. Right. And so I think that that's the, the main thing we want to, we want to glorify God. And one of the, Principal ways that God has glorified is through people and you got to have them <laughs> if that's going to happen. Yes. So I think that, you know, this is something that we just can't lose sight of, that we need to uh, you know, encourage people to bring children into the world and raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord because it glorifies God.
0: So do you think do you think some of this is working? I guess we probably both think some of this is working. So you were talking earlier about how what the family used to be, and it was like a production center, and everybody was contributing and everybody was involved. So like the more kids, the better for the family business, right? right. And it's not that anymore at all, is it? Now they're an expense especially if you're going to send them to the university and you probably shouldn't send them to just any university anymore, but you're going to send them to university and that's going to cost you a hundred thousand dollars or whatever. And, uh, so they're a big expense. So Christian families are like, man, I can't afford more kids. Interesting though. Recently, I don't know if you saw this. I happen to follow Elon Musk on Twitter because it's interesting to see what you do. All right. And remember about maybe six or eight months ago, my memory's bad for the past. Um, he tweeted something about, People need to have more children. Yeah. Uh, and he finds that the richer people get the fewer children they have. And he mentions all of his super wealthy friends have no kids. Right. or Maybe if anybody has a kid, it's one kid. Right. So he's saying it's really not an economic thing here. It's not like if we had more money, we'd have more kids. You just don't want more kids.
1: Comments? No, I, I think he's absolutely right. The, the, the uh, evidence, uh, empirical evidence is undeniable. Where you have uh, affluence, you have fewer kids, mm-hmm. and where you see people who are just kind of getting by, you got more kids. So the excuse that people make that we can't afford kids is just not the case. I mean, you can't. Well, it depends on what again, what you're trying to accomplish or what you're what, thinking about. What we can't kids. afford. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I remember the USDA of all of all people uh, you know, they actually came out with a report, I think back in 2017, about um, how much it cost to raise a kid. I think it came to over like $270,000 a kid, some goofy number like that. I, I, hmm. you know, I, you know, you just wonder what were they, you know, Probably what were they, they thinking. thinking? Yeah. yeah. But I, I also think that w- what we see in our society today is uh, our society has sent mixed signals. So on the one hand, you know, the economy really needs us to have kids. So, uh, say large corporations, they really need us to have kids because as you noted earlier, they need consumers. (laughs) They also need employees. People to hire. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But what do they do? They, they separate husbands and wives. They give uh, women a lot of incentives to not have kids. In fact, now it's like, a. A benefit to get an abortion, you know, if you find yourself, if you're you're a woman and you find yourself in a state that uh, yeah. has outlawed abortion or something like that, we'll fly you to a place. Fly we'll you to family. California. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there's this goofy mi- set of mixed messages. These people don't mm-hmm. apparently they don't either make the connections in their heads or they don't actually talk to each other in the conference mm-hmm. room. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, so there's all of that. And what what our society has done is it's managed to to move the asset from the from the household to the business. So, you know, governments and businesses need people and uh, households no longer believe that's the case for themselves because now households see children as liabilities, but businesses and governments still see them as assets. So what's happened? We've moved the asset from the ledger for the household into the ledger of the corporation and the company. And uh, as a result, people are having fewer kids. But as you noted earlier, uh, in the past, children were seen as wealth. So Jacob was a wealthy man because Mm -hmm. he had 12 sons, Mm -hmm. not in spite of the fact that he had 12 sons.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, all right, I'm going to draw this to a close soon, but I have uh, one, maybe two more things I want to ask you about. This next one, I, I know your answer to it. Uh, but I want everybody listening to this podcast to hear your answer to it. I, I love your answer to this. So, uh, talk about it. why do you not allow
1: couples to write their own custom wedding vows? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Usually, when I get the the sense that that's something they're interested in, I, I tell them the Unitarians are down the street. If you want to get married by them, go for it. <laughs>
0: They'll let you write anything. Well,
1: <laughs> that's right, you know. Yeah. Yeah, you can marry a tree, marry your dog, whatever. So I I think that the main thing is uh, that marriage is not something that this particular couple invented. This is something that they're entering into that uh, existed before they were born. Uh, It has its um, justification and purpose in God's order of things. And furthermore, when people custom do their vows, uh, it's all about them you know yes. and everybody's called to be a witness so so i'm i'm supposed to sit here and listen to you you know wax grandio eloquent about how you're not so eloquent <laughs> <laughs> That's <right>. just goofy <laughs> you know and it, and and what the, what people receive from that is the impression that that mar- that their marriage is all about them and it has nothing to do with you know the people who are there to witness it whereas when we have common vows you're reminded of your own vows Every time you attend a wedding, you say, oh, I I did promise that, didn't I? You know, and then we can actually hold them accountable because we have a common set of vows. We say, well, I know what you promised to do because it's this exact same thing I promised to do. So you don't have a right to just kind of, you know, jump on a plane and go to California and find yourself. Uh, You made some promises. Uh, is Mm -hmm. Is this new self that you're looking for a liar? Yes. Uh, unfaithful, uh, unwilling to do his or her duty. Well, then you're a slime ball, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and just put it that, that, that plainly, but you don't yeah. understand. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, I, I knew it. I, yeah. I think
0: I do understand. So I think it's, it's also awesome to know that, uh, like if you're the young married, getting married couple, um, you love it that your, your great, great grandma's, diamond ring got passed down and you got to put that on your girlfriend's finger. One of the yeah. guys sitting right over there. This just happened. <laughs> right. He just put right. a grandma grandma's ring on his girl's finger. They're engaged now. And, nice. and we love that because this was grandma's and it's getting passed down to us. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we had the same thing? These were grandma's vows because they yeah. came from
1: the church. They're the same. We're doing the what same grandma thing. Yeah. 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 So uh, what grandma did and what you're doing are the same thing. I think there's some power in that. Oh yeah. Letting couples write their own vows
0: is a little bit close to giving them the idea that, yeah, you can make your marriage be whatever you want it to be. You can rewrite marriage. Like we're trying to rewrite gender and everything. You can rewrite marriage. We're trying to rewrite the family. You can make your family be whatever. No, actually the church is going to tell you what your marriage is and what your family is going to be.
1: Yeah. There's, you know, there are, there's so many goofy things going on right now, but they don't work. Um, And there's this strange notion that we can kind of create the world from scratch in every generation as though uh, no one has ever learned from experience by doing stupid things in the past. Um, You know, sometimes I think about this. I think about, you know, you've probably experienced this where you've got this, 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 this family that's just a mess. And the oldest son does stupid stuff and goes to jail. And then the second son does stupid stuff and goes to jail. And then the third son does stupid stuff and goes to jail. And you you say, can't you learn anything by watching somebody else do stupid stuff? Or do you have to do it all yourself, too? Yeah, like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We will go. One more question.
0: Here it is. We're right at home stretch. So if the people listening to this podcast could change one thing about how they view the family, what would you want them to change?
1: Well, I would want them to change, uh, you know, we've been talking about this for a while now. I'd l- I want them to change the notion that it's all about them and that they get to invent, you know, what uh, a household is and what it means. You are receiving the riches of the, of, you know, uh, the biblical uh, patrimony that's been passed down to you over, you know, thousands of years this is rich stuff. If you can't see the value in it, it's not because it doesn't have value, it's because you have no eye for value. That's the Mm -hmm. thing. We, you know, in our individualist, uh, you know, uh, sort of subjectivist world, uh, the idea that value is simply something that is determined by the desires of people at any given moment is just stupid. We've all made bad decisions based on fluctuating desires in the past. And then as we've grown older, we've said, how could I have been so stupid (laughs) (laughs) to think that that was important or that was valuable? I've no better now. Well, what we have handed down to us is not just the wisdom of an individual over the course of his life, but the, but the wisdom has been handed down to us. Uh, over the generations, that's the, the huge, ages. Yeah, accumulated wisdom mm-hmm. of the of the human race. For goodness' sake, <laughs> <Yeah.
0: And laughs> you, you know? just want to throw all that out and say, "Oh, we'll design it the way
1: with." Are you? Do you think it's going to work? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Are, are you some other? Are you some creature from another planet? You know, you yeah. don't have anything in common with the rest of us? Really?
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. Uh, hope you have good weather out there
1: in the northwest. <laughs> well, we're uh, just there a couple. Yeah, we're just entering the rainy season. Tomorrow, the rainy season begins. I just, you know, we've had a, you know, we've got two seasons.
0: Literally, you all have a day like that's the day the rainy season begins.
1: <laughs> well, you can tell by when you look at your, you know, your, your weather forecast, and like you go from like every day is sun to every day <laughs> is rain, and tomorrow the rain begins and it doesn't stop for as far as you can see. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. You must be hardy people up there. I. Well, we drink a lot of coffee.
0: sounds good (laughs) thanks again for joining me today and uh, thanks for you listeners joining us today Um, this is Grounded and I just want to remind you that it comes out twice a month you can find it on all the regular platforms Um, thank you for joining us hope we'll see you again